we're honestly trying to get our clients into the banking system. And so mm. if they have not been in there yet, or they were and they had some um, a bankruptcy or need to do some credit repair, we might be their first step back in to that path of kind of more traditional capital. Welcome to the Next Gen Banker podcast, where we explore what's next in banking and talk with the innovators responsible for creating positive change in the financial sector. I'm your host, Becca Heft, and I am joined by my Sunrise colleague and friend, Brian Toft. And today I'm very excited to welcome Leah Freemau. Leah, thanks for being on the Next Gen Banker podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm very excited to, to be here and to talk with you today. So thanks for having me. Likewise. But before we get started, just a reminder to stick around to hear our musical feature at the end of the episode. Each Next Gen Banker episode showcases one new artist from somewhere around the globe, representing a wide range of different genres. So be sure to check it out. Now let's hear about Leah. She is the CEO of Bridging Virginia, a community development loan fund aimed at helping historically marginalized small business owners and places. Leah is also the president of the Virginia CDFI Coalition and a board member at Go Virginia and Chamber RVA in her home city of Richmond, Virginia. So Leah, that's a bio that probably barely scratches the surface. So we would love to hear about your history in economic development and financial services. And just tell us your story from the beginning. We'd love to hear it. Sure, sure. So how long is this podcast? We have five hours. Well, three hours max. Okay. So if you would have told even, I would say, 25-year-old Leah that I would be president and CEO of something that has to do with money and business and finance, I would have thought you were crazy. Because at that time, I was working at a shelter for um, at-risk teenagers in Morgantown, West Virginia, where I grew up. At that point in time, I was a, a college dropout. I had moved from bartending and waiting tables into a full-time role with an annual salary of $17,500, and I thought I had hit big time. (laughs) And so just kind of this windy path that, you know, eventually brought me to Virginia, where I transferred to Virginia Commonwealth University with a .6 GPA. So, and I, I share all this, I will jump to like how I ended up where I am and get there quickly, hopefully, but in that VCU didn't even take me as a student. They were like, we'll take your money. You know, you can come take classes, but you're not a student until you actually get good grades and and prove yourself. And I share that because I think that connects my, my passion and my personal story to kind of like the underdog, the like not knowing the strength that you have inside until you start to have success and start to move. And, you know, I see a lot of that not only in like the businesses um, that we work at, this like inherent strength and tenacity, but also in some of like the the kind of community development projects where you go into small towns and and rural areas or even in a like a neighborhood corridor where there's this old building that has great bones and amazing windows and and you know you're kind of just used to seeing it being broken and shut down and but there's there's power there there's beauty there and so you just kind of like that that is why I'm so like passionate and privileged I think to be in the work that I'm in in economic development and in the capital space because it's the money that gets these projects done that funds these businesses and and you know it was kind of getting to VCU learning some things having success that it just kind of hit the ball rolling where I went from a college dropout 
to, you know, someone with a fellowship that put me into the uh, Richmond Redevelopment Housing Authority through that fellowship that turned into a full-time gig that then turned into the next full-time gig and, yeah. wow. <laughs> and you know, connected me to other initiatives mm-hmm. in, in the city of Richmond that added to, you know, my, my scope of experience like TEDxRVA, um, which is locally organized TED talk events um, from the actual TEDx, you know, brand and everything to leading a women's giving circle called Impact 100, where we were um, raising $100,000 every grant cycle from a collective of women, all volunteer led to then give out that grant once a year. So like that all came just kind of from being open to things, trying new stuff, but getting involved in the community from the housing and economic development side. And here I am now growing this this loan fund to do more of that type of work. Wow. And I would even say, and just knowing you, Leah, from uh, the years that you were at Virginia Community Capital, I think innovation is a really mm-hmm. big part of that as well. Um, and Bridging Virginia is your latest venture, and it was really born out of the pandemic uh, to help those who were disproportionately um, affected. So can you talk to Brian and I a little bit about the impacts that you were seeing in your um community and the state of Virginia that led you to this effort. Yeah. Um, and I have to, so I didn't, this was not my idea. Uh, a gentleman who's now a, a really close friend and now my technically my boss, <laughs> um, Harrison Roday, was someone that I got a cold call from at when I was working at VCC. And you got a lot of those. I'm sure you all get them too, where you hear about opportunity zones or tax credits or whatever the new fancy, sexy capital thing is. And so they, as a CDFI, as a bank, as you have capital in anywhere in your name, you get these calls where people want, you know, your investment or money or time. And I, you know, always take those calls, but I always kind of give homework. Like, sure, I will tell you what I know about CDFIs and loan funds, um, but go do this and come back and we'll keep talking. So Harrison was one of those those calls where he was an investment banker by day from Richmond, but living in New York, came back because of COVID, heard about the disparity or was I mean, learning about the disparity, especially around small businesses, especially when you looked at race and gender, and then add COVID impact on top of that. And he, I think in a way, was it was new to him. And he was very motivated and driven to find a solution to that. And so the solution in 2020 was actually a loan loss reserve pool that he raised and then worked with the Virginia Credit Union to have them do the lending with the loan loss actually backing up their lending. And so through that initiative and through the Metropolitan Business League, which is now a partner of Bridging Virginia, they identified the businesses that um, needed that lending capital could be a good tool for in that moment. And then Virginia Credit Union actually underwrote them with Harrison's um, investment and Harrison and others investment backing up that that risk. So that's where we started. I went along that journey with him and eventually became a board member of Bridging Virginia, which none of us on the board actually wanted to start a nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we were doing our best not to start another nonprofit, right? Like it was like, why do we need to exist? Could a Virginia Community Capital do this? Could the Metropolitan Business League as a business support organization, kind of like a chamber, take mm-hmm. on a loan fund? You know, because the gap that we are filling is 15,000 to 50. 
And so what we would say, yes, it's micro, but it's more small dollar lending. So anything under six figures is a, a significant market failure in Virginia, Richmond, and probably across the country because, you know, um, traditional lender or just lenders in general, even VCC, CDFIs can't do this and keep the lights on. That's where all the grants come in and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So we in an unfortunate way, needed to exist. And so we launched the nonprofit with feedback from others and, you know, kind of this kind of community engagement piece of like, okay, yeah, you are uh, unique <laughs> in the capital market. And so um, got that thing rolling. And it was probably, I guess it was about a year later where um, money from the state through the Virginia CDFI fund actually gave Bridging Virginia more resources to hire full-time, a full-time person, which was not supposed to be me at all. <laughs> it's like, this was not part of my master plan. It was like, I'm a board <laughs> member. I am over here doing VCC stuff and I will help this small little thing over here get going. We'll get the right person in place. And um, fast forward the, you know, here we were, I think it was February of 2022 and just like different pieces were moving around and, you know, VCC is doing some great things. Amir Kirkwood's a new CEO and he's lovely. And we had, you know, was, uh, enjoyed working with him when I could, but, you know, you get to go over and start from scratch and, and in a way <laughs> we're an unregulated loan fund. So we can do things that VCC uh, and Sunrise can't because mm-hmm. the, we're not regulated yet. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. uh, we're also not a CDFI yet. So there are some things like, and I, I'm not saying we're not we're not we're not ignoring credit score, but it's it's just a piece of information. It's not a decision making tool. Um, we are able because we're small and nimble. We're able to do things like, oh, you asked for a term loan. Well, actually, let's do a line of credit. You know, we're at VCC, that organization was was structured. Um, you could only get a line of credit if you had a term loan. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the, the line of credit is the better tool. So being able to get in there and kind of innovate and figure out this the solution is just, just kind of how I'm wired. I mean, all the community stuff I mentioned earlier, TEDx, Impact 100, things I'm doing now with an pick, indoor pickleball facility, which could be a whole other podcast show if you want to do that. Wow. But... <laughs> Are all these like from the ground up? I'm a builder by nature. And um, so getting to start from scratch um, is, is very exciting. And I don't have to manage people right now, which, you know, after managing a statewide team of nine, it's just, you know, I just want to break. <laughs> pickleball, <laughs> that's a that whole other conversation. Love my, team. my team is great. We'll have to talk offline about pickleball sometime. <laughs> Hey, I will actually be out in Kansas City in a couple uh, in May. Maybe <laughs> you can help me get me in the right side of that on the Missouri side. So sure. All right, text me. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like your background, uh, from the story you told, and some of the things you've done, lends itself perfectly to what you're doing at Bridging. And I was wondering how you felt about that, and how you incorporate some of that into maybe how you make decisions or how you incorporate some of those life experiences into what you see in the market and where you see that gap being filled by bridging. Yeah, I think the luxury that we have at bridging right now is that we are small and we don't have the infrastructure that others do that they have to support um, as far as employees and costs and things. So the the things that we can do is be innovative and we are learning and, and I don't want to say changing, but we're learning and designing 
as we're going. And so I think that approach to not only what we're building as an organization, but to how we're working with the businesses is going to serve us well um, because we're not boxed into something that has always been this way or have we, you know. So that's, I think that's where that's coming through. Um, The other piece that I'm excited about, and it's, it's a longer path, but the innovation and the ability to lend to cannabis-based businesses as a, a nimble nonprofit fund with no federal connections yet, you know, like that is a gentrified industry um, in itself. And it, it, when it becomes legal in Virginia, there are going to be small businesses that, you know, get kicked out of the market that you couldn't that will need small sizes of capital to become the grower, the retailer, the whatever that piece is. So things like that is where we want to be different um, and additive to the market. Mm-hmm. And also, I keep talking about the new and things that we're like, how we're different from, but we're honestly trying to get our clients into the banking system. And so mm. if they have not been in there yet, or they were and they had some um, a bankruptcy or need to do some credit repair, we might be their first step back in to that path of kind of more traditional capital because it is, ba- I mean, I mean that's the market. Like mm-hmm. we need to have access to that traditional system. And so things like credit cards and business banking services that comes with a larger organization. And so how do we get you to into those types of trusted relationships? Um, and so that's that's how we're thinking about that. The other the other piece um, that I want to flag is I think this is just by my nature, but also just some of the people around Bridging Virginia is that we have this kind of MO of never being a dead end. And Mm. so if I don't know, like I'll go, I'll get you to the person that does. And that's our approach with our clients. So if we're not the right fit for you or your capital needs, we're going to get you to the Atlantic Union or the DCC or the LISC or whatever, or to the Small Business Development Center because you're not ready for lending yet. (laughs) But we don't, we don't want to be that black hole that I think, you know, sometimes a lot of even just it's just hard, right? People get yeah. a reputation for that. And that's yeah. that's part of our values. And and I get this, you know, sunrise and your branding and you know, everything that you all have done is as far as infiltrating all of those values into how you behave. Like we we have that opportunity too and want to be yeah. not a dead end, a trusted partner, um, and just kind of making things happen. Yeah, I love that because we we believe a bank serves as a connector and it sounds like that's exactly what bridging is. Well, your name says it. You're connecting, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's credit repair or just to an, even if you're not the right fit, you're going to want to make sure that they find the right resource that they need. And that's what we believe, too. Um, so you've been involved in kind of that small business development center piece and um, some of the um, saw that you were involved in the small business resiliency fund and raising money for that. So all kinds of different connections and making a difference in your community for un and underbanked um, and connecting them to banking is awesome. Um, so I was wondering, we have listeners across the globe and, and was wondering, you know, if people wanted to, you know, try to help fill the gap that you're filling or try to get advice on how to strengthen those connections in those communities. I'm wondering, what have you seen and what advice would you give people if they wanted to try to do that? Um, so there's a couple things. I think from a practitioner and even banking perspective, um, and I recognize that the banks have big infrastructure and you can't, you know, moving a, a product at Bank of America is not an easy task, right? 
Um, but there are groups like the Virginia Bankers Association here in Virginia that have been convening and working with bankers to do more around access to capital. And I, if you are part of something like that at your at, at your organization and the conversation shifts to, oh, we just need to know more about small business development centers as bankers because then we can send them there. Stop right there and look at your role as a capital provider. What can you do to change your underwriting boxes and how are you using guarantees? How are you using loan loss reserve pools? How are you asking your state and local government partners to set aside pools of their public dollars to unlock your private capital so you can do riskier lending? So think about that, especially if you're in the banking system, where where are those levers? And it might not be your capital. It might be, like I said, it might be a town, uh, town manager or, you know, a local government loan fund that as a bank and a banker, you can help facilitate some of that that lending. As an individual, I would say know who your CDFIs are, your your banks and credit unions and put your deposits there. Um, You know, we need the we need the capital to get those uh, to get out into the hands of our communities, whether it's uh, for individuals and homeownership or small businesses and housing and and all the things that, you know, make our our communities great. It is where you do business. And, you know, most of us in this space, some of us are big national CDFIs, but most of us have a really strong local connection, even if it's kind of a city or regional. They should they'll know your neighborhoods, you know, and you would be investing in your local businesses. Even if they are a big national um, CDFI, they probably are deploying money in a place-based way, and you know you could you could be proud of that relationship. You know, Leah. One quick thing, because we do have listeners all over the globe, can you define CDFI and what it is? <laughs> okay, how much time do we have now? <laughs> so, a CDFI, Community Development Financial Institution, is a an organization that has lending and finance as its core business uh, model, but um, has gone through a process with the federal government to um, access resources that allows them, allows CDFIs to deploy lending and services into underinvested, um, underserved markets. Like it could be a, a rural community, it could be based on demographics. Um, and so in a way, it is a financial institution that is designed to serve its community in a very intentional, federally mandated way. (laughs) And Sunrise is a CDFI bank, and there's about 100 CDFIs in the U.S., um, but it there's sounds actually, like there's actually 1,200 CDFIs, in the and US. that's a that's the next leading point is that the rest of the CDFIs are nonprofits, so most yes. of them are nonprofit CDFIs. So just a little clarity for our friends in Europe and Asia and South America, so they uh, know what this is. So thank you. Um, I did want to. Oh, go ahead. I see you're well, gonna. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. to um interrupt there about your point about the the for-profit bank CDFIs and then the others that compare that to, so there's 1,200 CDFIs in the the United States. There's 3,000 banks um, that are not CDFI. Well, maybe some of them are, but only 100 of them are actually. Right. But compare that to the banking industry and that number has gone down because of mergers and acquisitions. So you know, how do we get more banks and CDFIs into our markets? I think that's that contrast is also telling. Right. Because whether you're a nonprofit CDFI or a bank 
for-profit CDFI, the work that's being done is important and it's making a significant difference in these low to moderate income areas um, and the people who live in those areas as well. Um, I have, I want to shift gears a little bit because podcasting is not new <laughs> to you, Leah. Um, you started, we were just talking about it. You started Renegade Capital sometime during the pandemic. Um, and it's really a podcast that works hand in hand with what you're doing at Bridging. I want to hear more about how you came out with this idea, the name Renegade um, Capital. And then I want to hear about your favorite episode. Oh, my goodness. Um, so personally, I was missing the the creative outlet. So my involvement in the TEDx RVA initiative was around speaker cur- curation, selection, and even like we would do those conferences. It's a you know an eight-hour theater event where you're creating a story arc and telling, you know, plugging speakers into different stories and and kind of this person has high energy, this one's gonna make you cry. Like that was a, a really fun space for me to do outside of my day job. And so I was I was missing that type of outlet, um, generally speaking. And then um I was also just sick of spinning the PR spin. And um, there was a lot of the things that I was involved in as a practitioner um, in the community space, in a CDFI space, that if I did it through my organization, it would have been no fun. I mean, not that it wouldn't have been a good show, and um, but just that I, myself, Andrea and Ebony, we all wanted this kind of space to just have the conversations we wanted to have without approval. And and you know, just kind of be real about what is working and, and what isn't. And I think the guests that we have had and will continue to have have appreciated that space to just to be bluntly honest, you know, about um, uh, like Robert James, you know, we were talking about kind of the investment of our corporate partners and banks um, after George Floyd's murder and how how prevalent that was and everybody was excited and the money was just flowing and the, you know, the, the, the PR around these investments was everywhere. And, you know, we're all good partners and we care about racial equity. And then, you know, two years later, did they mean it, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so some of us have perspectives on that. And so Robert was very honest about his experience with some of his partners. And so that type of space to, you know, to kind of call things out as we see them, and ideally leave the audience with something that they can go and do. Or if it's folks like us where we're embedded in the field, like how are we taking that and then building off of it in our own work? So, um, and favorite episode, I don't, I can't do that. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like Khadijah Tribble with her, you know, her perspective on the cannabis industry was fascinating. I mean, I clearly have learned a lot when I take that into the work I'm doing. We got to sit down with um, State Senator Jennifer McClellan, who's now running for Congress, will be, I think, the first Black woman to, when when she wins, be the first Black woman to serve and represent Virginia in that space at the, at the federal level. So with, you know, I mean, it's hard to pick just one. Robert James is amazing. You know him. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you're on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, all the usual suspects. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're on, I think, all of those. Google, Overcast. Um, you should be able to 
be able to find it. We are working on season three right now. Um, we're actually just getting started on the planning. Probably we'll have um, a slant towards kind of energy and investing in, in clean energy and, and that space. Um, mm. But again, still kind of getting to the, the meat of the season right now. Nice. So, Leah, we have one last question for you, and it's a question we ask all our guests. What do you think the next-gen banker looks like? Um, hopefully, it's similar to what I described earlier with you know someone that's in the industry that can see beyond what they're told to do and, and understand the system that they're in, but understand it enough to kind of break open the pieces that aren't working for everyone. And so I think folks that are moving into this field have a, a an passion for or want to get more involved in the community aspect of what we do. I think it creates uh, or it needs innovation, curiosity, um, and just a willingness to kind of like be wrong and figure it out and be told no and figure out another way around it. <laughs> so so those types of qualities is is what the industry needs along with the skill set and the smarts behind the making the financing and the capital work. Because that's, again, there are smarter people than me creating spreadsheets for how we're forecasting our operations, right? <laughs> so the skill sets are, are still needed, um, but it's also just that those kind of, um, I guess, just innate and inherent qualities or, you know, kind of um, behaviors that you want to drive towards. It's been such a pleasure having you on today, Leah. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Leah. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you next time. For this episode's musical feature, we're showcasing Half Measure. Half Measure is a musical project funded by multi-instrumentalist, producer, and singer-songwriter Stephen Keach. Half Measure's debut EP, Somebody Like You, was released in early 2020 by Soundstripe Productions. Here is Story by Half Measure. That was Story by Half Measure. You can find more of Half Measure's music on Spotify. If you would like your music featured on the Next Gen Banker podcast, email david at nextgen-banker.com with a link to your music and website. Thanks for listening to the Next Gen Banker podcast. We'll see you soon.